You're listening to the Good News in a Dark World podcast. Join us as we study God's Word and discover Jesus on every page. Here's Pastor Kevin. The last several Sundays, we have been looking at uh, favorite Bible stories. We spent, I think, uh, five Sundays in the book of Genesis. Uh, This series will not be ending anytime soon because you gave me so many uh, really good suggestions. And so this morning, uh, we are entering the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 2. If you would turn your Bible there at this point, second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 2. We're going to look this morning at uh, the birth of one of the, the great human characters in all of Scripture. And that is the birth of Moses, Exodus chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. And his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse this child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. History is filled with the stories of political leaders who would stop at nothing to keep their power. Uh, Men like Adolf Hitler in in Germany, Joseph Stalin in the Soviet Union, uh, Mao Zedong in, in China, and, and many, many others, these are men who, who ruled with an iron fist, who brutalized countless numbers of people under their rule because they did not want to lose power. We find in the Bible an example of this kind of leader. His name, children, is Pharaoh. It was his title, Pharaoh. As the book of Exodus begins, we are told that that there is a new king in Egypt, and this new king doesn't know Joseph. Now, that doesn't mean that this new pharaoh had no idea who Joseph was. They'd never heard of him before. But what it means is that he didn't remember the important role that Joseph had played in preserving Egypt in the midst of a famine. Instead, all this new king knows is that Joseph's people, the the Israelites, have grown numerous. Chapter 1 says that Egypt was filled with them. When when Joseph and his family came to Egypt at the end of the book of Genesis, there were maybe a, a few hundred of them. 
And, and now we come to Exodus and there are hundreds of thousands of Israelites. And so what does a king do when, when he perceives that there's a certain group of people that are a threat to his power and that this group of people just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger? Well, what he does is he, he tries to, to break their backs by forcing them into hard labor. But it doesn't work. If you have your Bible open, look back at chapter 1 and notice verse 12. It says that the more that they, God's people, were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. Pharaoh's plan to, to stop the numerical growth of God's people through this back-breaking labor doesn't work. People of Israel just keep growing. By the way, isn't it, isn't it interesting, if, if you are a student of church history, isn't it interesting that, that when you read church history, you discover that no matter what the godless world may do to the church, no matter how hard the, the enemy may try to extinguish the church, the church of Christ just keeps on growing. As the early church father Tertullian is famous for saying the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. According to statistics, the, the number of Christians in China has gone from about 1 million Christians about 40 years ago to 100 million Christians today. Satan is working so hard here in Exodus to, to try to stamp out God's people, to, to try to wipe them off the face of the map. But the Bible tells us here, they just keep growing. And so Pharaoh turns to plan B, which is to, to force them to work even harder. And then he adds a plan C. Pharaoh goes, you remember, to the Hebrew midwives, and he says to these women, if, if, there's, a, if there's a baby boy born to the Hebrews, kill him. But when that doesn't work, when the Hebrew midwives say we, we have to obey God rather than men, Pharaoh moves on to another plan. I guess this is plan D. Plan D to extinguish God's people. He goes to all of his people. He goes to all of his citizens in Egypt. And he says to them, if you see a Hebrew baby boy, throw him in the Nile River. Kill him. I mean, horrible, right? We, we often bemoan the, the state of our culture, the state of our world, how it in, in many respects today is, is hostile to God and hostile to his truth and hostile to his people. But I want you to imagine for just a moment living in that day. Imagine trying to live as a, as a covenant child of God in a place where you are a slave. And if you don't work hard enough, they beat you. And, and where people are, are looking for your baby boys with the intent of throwing them in the river and killing them. Imagine living in that time. Now, now all of this is a background to our passage this morning. This is, the, this is the big picture. Pharaoh is oppressing God's people. He's seeking to murder covenant children. And, and Satan, through Pharaoh, is essentially trying to wipe God's people off the face of the, the map. And now as we come to chapter 2, it's, it's like you take your camera, and, and which has been focused on the big picture. You take your camera and you zoom in on one particular Jewish family who's living in the midst of this persecution. And, and one of the great truths that, that I want you to see this morning that stands out in this section of Exodus is that God's purposes will always stand, always. 
God's plan will always unfailingly come to pass. And it doesn't matter when we live. It doesn't matter if we lived 4,000 years ago. It doesn't matter if we live today. It doesn't matter when we live. It doesn't matter the state of the culture around us. It doesn't matter if the culture is friendly to us or hostile to us. God's purposes will always stand. And this is a, a truth that we always need to be reminded of. As, as we read in Isaiah chapter 46, God says, My purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Christian, when this world doesn't make any sense to you, when, when you are discouraged at the state of our world, this, this is really a truth that we need to hear. And we hear it this morning. We see it this morning in Exodus chapter 2. There are two parts to this passage. First of all, there is a mother's dependent faith. And second, there is God's providential protection. The mother's dependent faith and God's providential protection. We are told at the beginning that, that a man from the house of Levi marries a Levite woman. At a certain point, the, the woman becomes pregnant and she gives birth to a son. And, and notice what the middle of verse 2 says. It says, when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Now, what does it mean that he was a fine child? The Hebrew word means good or, or pleasant or agreeable. Now, does this mean just mean that he was a, an adorable little baby? I mean, we think all babies are adorable, right? Especially our own. All babies are cute. Is that what we are being told here? That, that Moses' parents thought that Moses was just the cutest little baby. And by the way, remember who's writing this. Moses is writing this. In other words, he's, he's writing this about himself. And so is Moses saying in a certain sense, you know, I was just an adorable baby and my parents knew it. No, that's not what he's saying. The, the Hebrew word that's translated fine here is exactly the same Hebrew word that is used in connection with God's creation in Genesis chapter 1. Children, you might remember that, that over and over and over in Genesis, it keeps saying the same thing. God sees his creation and he sees that it is good. Same word. What's the point here in Exodus 2? What, what does it mean that, that Moses' mother saw that he was a fine child? Well, I think that, that Moses' parents have some kind of idea that their son is one who has been ordained by God, created by God to do something special, something important. They realize there's, there's something different about this boy. Now, how they knew this, I don't know. But that seems to be what the text is indicating. That seems to be also, and we'll look at this later, what the book of Hebrews is saying. And so what do they do? In, in faith, they hide him. They hide him for three months so that no one can grab him and throw him in the Nile River. Now, now babies aren't always quiet. Babies cry. Babies fuss. Babies, babies make a lot of noise. But, but somehow they hide him, and they do this with a dependent faith in the Lord. We, we know this because of what the book of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews chapter 11, it says this, By faith... 
Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw, listen, they saw that he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Moses believed that God had given them this little boy. They believed that he was a gift from God, made in the very image of God. And that no one, not even the most powerful man in the world, should be allowed to take his life. And so they trust that God will preserve his life, preserve the life of their son. They trust that God will use their son however God sees fit. And in this sense, this is a, an excellent reminder to us of how we are to parent our children. I, I hope and I pray and I trust that, that all of you as parents see your children as gifts from God to you. They're not ultimately yours. They belong to God. He has entrusted them to you. They are made in God's image. And, and you as parents have been entrusted with a very high and holy calling to raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. But while it's a high and holy calling, all of us would raise our hands this morning and say it is a difficult calling. It's not easy. I mean, as parents, we, we know our own shortcomings. We know our own weaknesses. We know that we can't raise our children in our own strength. And, and we also know not, not only are we weak vessels in raising our children, we also know that too well the, the pressures of this sinful world that, that come upon our children in, in many, many respects. An obvious one, of course, is that we have seen over the last number of years that, that our culture wants to snuff out the lives of children. In the last 50 years, 62 and a half million babies have been killed in the womb. 62 and a half million. But there's more to it than that. This culture wants to, to educate our children according to its own godless agenda. Sexual freedom, homosexuality, transgenderism, that's the great push today. They, they want us and our children to embrace these things as normal behavior, normal lifestyle. And, and behind all of this, you know this, behind all of this, seeking to devour our children is Satan. There's a war going on for children today. And, and I ask you are, you, are you parenting in faith? Are you... Are you doing everything you can, even in your weakness, are you doing everything you can to raise your children according to God's word, trusting that he will preserve your children? Moses' parents trust that God will keep their little boy. They, they fear God more than they fear Pharaoh. And so they hide him for three months. Comes a point, though, when they can't hide him anymore. Maybe his cries are getting louder. Uh, maybe the people in the area are more likely to hear him. But for whatever reason, we're told here they can't hide him anymore. And so we notice what his mother does. She, she gets a basket made out of papyrus reeds. And she, she covers it with, with bitumen and pitch in order to make it waterproof. And she puts little Moses in the basket. Now, now do you see that word basket in verse 3? 
Interestingly, it's the same Hebrew word that's translated ark in the book of Genesis in relation to Noah's ark. It's like baby Moses is being placed in a baby ark. But just as Noah and his family were, were preserved in that ark, so Moses will be preserved in this ark. And she, she places Moses in the ark and she, she puts it among the reeds down by the riverbank. Now you go, that's weird. Why would you take your child and, and put him in a little ark and stick it in the river? Children, did you know that the Nile River is 4,000 miles long? It's a huge river. If, if you're trying to protect your child from a madman, would you really put him in a, in a little basket and, and set that basket in a huge river? Now, the text doesn't tell us specifically, but I, but I think Moses' mother knew what she was doing. She knew that, that women would come down to the riverside to, to bathe, and, and she was probably hoping that one of those women will find this ark, find this basket, and have compassion on her son. And so she, she puts the basket in the reeds, and, and she has her daughter, Moses' sister, stand at a distance to, to see what's going to happen. And again, I think there's a sense in which we get this great picture of how we, again, are raising our children. Moses' parents have, have done what they can do to protect Moses, to keep him safe. They, they've used wisdom. They've used the resources that they have. They, they didn't just say, well, let's see what happens. God's sovereign. We're just going to see what happens. No, they, they were actively guarding their child from being murdered. But then at a certain point, they have to leave the end result to God. They place him in a basket, they put the basket in the Nile, and they trust that the Lord's plan will be accomplished. As parents and as grandparents, we, we use the time and the resources and the opportunities that God gives to us. We don't just say, we're going to throw our kids out there and see what happens. No, we're, we're intentional. We use what we have. We use wisdom. We, we take our children to church. We read the Bible with them. We pray with them. We, we give them a Christian education. We seek to train them and raise them and nurture them to the very best of our ability, even with all of our faults. And, and all of this, all of our parenting is with the intention, with the goal, not that our kids will just be good citizens one day. Not just that they will, you know, one day grow up and we can look at them and say, you know what, they're outwardly moral people. What's our goal? What's your goal as a parent? Our goal is that they would know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If we are Christians, that's what we care most about. That's what weighs most on our hearts. Good grades are nice. Sports are fun. They can be very beneficial. But what we want most is that our children follow Jesus. But here's the thing. We can't make them believe. We can't make them believe. We can't transform their hearts. 
Only God can do that. And so like Moses' mother, we, we leave the ultimate safety and eternal security of our children and our grandchildren in God's hands. And we have to be, believe that God will be faithful to his promise. That he will keep his covenant promise. And so that's what Moses' mother does. She, she puts him in this basket and she sets him in the river. And now we come to God's providential protection. You might remember if you were last week, we, we talked about God's providence. God's providence is his almighty power where he is in control of all things. Nothing happens by chance. God is in control of all things. It's a wonderful doctrine. It's a comforting doctrine. I want you to notice God's providence here. I want you to see how, how God orchestrates all of this to preserve the one who will deliver his people from slavery in Egypt. We see God's providence here in three different ways. Baby Moses has been placed in this basket, this, this miniature ark. Ark has been set by the riverside, sitting there in the reeds, and here comes providence number one. The daughter of Pharaoh comes down to the river to bathe. And while she's there, she sees a basket. Her female attendant goes and she grabs the basket. They bring it to the princess. She opens it up and she sees a baby crying. And she takes pity on that baby. She, she cares about this baby. She says, this is a Hebrew baby boy. And you say, how did she know that? How does she know that he was a Hebrew? Well, first of all, she probably was not surprised to see a baby in the Nile River. Probably all kinds of baby boys in the Nile River. So the only surprise is this one was alive. Remember, Pharaoh said, if you see a Hebrew baby boy, throw him in the Nile. But, but secondly, she would have known that this was a Hebrew because she would have noticed that Moses was circumcised. Egyptian males weren't circumcised until they were older, usually around 12 or 13 years old. And so just by looking at Moses, she knows that he's a Hebrew. In God's providence, it's, it's not Pharaoh's army that finds this child. If it had been, surely he would have been killed. But in God's providence, it's Pharaoh's own daughter. And then comes providence number two. Moses' sister is there. She sees all of this happening. She goes up to the princess and notice what she asks in verse 7. Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Now, now we might wonder why would she offer to go get a Hebrew woman to nurse this child? Wouldn't that seem out of place to an Egyptian, especially the Egyptian princess? Why would she say, I'll go get a Hebrew woman for you? Well, remember the context. Remember, all these baby boys, all these Hebrew baby boys are being put to death. And so there would have been an abundance of Hebrew women available to nurse this baby. And the princess says, yes, go find a Hebrew woman. And that's what the sister does. The Hebrew is constructed in such a way to suggest that Moses' sister didn't spend any time thinking about this. When the princess said, yeah, go get me a Hebrew woman, Moses' sister doesn't think to herself, I wonder who I should get for this. I wonder if I should get mom. Let me think about this. No, the Hebrew is constructed in such a way to say she did this immediately. Now, now again, notice how God is orchestrating all of this. I don't believe that, that God is mentioned once by name in this passage. But that doesn't mean he's absent. That doesn't mean he's not working. 
He's sovereignly putting all of this together. He's going to use this, all of this, to preserve his people. He's going to use this to preserve the line of the Savior so that one day Jesus would come. We've always got to see the big picture when we read our Bibles, don't we? The Bible, from, from beginning to end, is about God working in order to redeem his people. And, and brothers and sisters, it's a reminder to us that, that nothing could stop God from accomplishing our redemption. That's a wonderful reality. When you are tempted to wonder, could God really save someone like me? When, when you think to yourself, is salvation just too good to be true? Remember how God worked all through the Old Testament. And this is just one example. So that one day Jesus would come. And then there's providence number three. Moses' sister goes and she gets Moses' mother to nurse him. Moses' mother comes to the princess. And the princess says, this is kind of humorous. I want you to nurse this child for me and I'll pay you to do it. It's amazing, right? Um, Moses has returned to his mother unharmed. And not only that, but, but she's going to be paid to be his mother. And, and it's at some point in his youth when he's taken back to Pharaoh's daughter and she gives him the name Moses. It's a wonderful story. And as we begin to kind of wrap this up this morning, I want you to think of two things as we close. First of all, this story is a reminder to us that the power of man is no match for the power of God. That the power of man is no match for the power of God. Children, you know who Pharaoh was, right? Pharaoh is the most powerful man on earth at this time. But there was nothing that he could do. The most powerful man in the world. There's nothing he could do to stop or to thwart or to defeat the purposes of God. If, if you were living, if we were all living at that time. And we were part of God's covenant people. This, this whole thing would look very, very bleak. We're slaves. We're being beaten. They're killing our boys. Looks awful. But as Psalm 2 says, God, God is on his throne. And, and he, he laughs at the so-called power of the world. I, I love how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 25. He says, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. When, when you're tempted to discouragement and, and when you think to yourself, you know, I watch the news, I hear the news, I see what's going on, I, I see the culture, and, and you know what? I, I don't see much of a future for the church. I don't know how the church is going to survive. Remember what we find here. Remember what we find all throughout Scripture. The plans and the purposes of God will never be defeated. 
The power of men is no match for the power of God. The church will never be overcome. And, and that's not just in the big picture things of life. That's true in your life. That's true in your family. The, the enemy will not triumph over you. God's purpose for you will be done. Trust him. Lean upon him. Seek him. Trust him. His, his promises will always be done. The second thing, though, we want to see, not, not only is this a great reminder that the power of men is no match for the power of God, but secondly, we, we want to see how this story amazingly parallels the life and the ministry of Jesus. We're getting, we're getting really close to the Christmas season. You go to the stores now, you go to Costco, and Christmas stuff has been out for quite a while. But the time of year is coming when, when we remember that there came a point in history when God sent, the Father sent his only begotten son into this world. And, and there's a wonderful connection between this passage here in Exodus 2 and what we read in Matthew chapter 2. I want you to think just of three things. First of all, in Exodus 2, Satan is using Pharaoh to, distraught, to try to destroy the line of promise so that Jesus will not come. In Matthew chapter 2, uh, Satan is using another wicked ruler, this time Herod, to try to destroy Jesus himself. Just as Pharaoh murdered the Hebrew baby boys, so Herod murdered all the boys in Bethlehem to try to get to Jesus. To do away with Jesus. Secondly, at the end of Exodus 2, we're told that the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and, and cried out for help. Matthew chapter 2 tells us that the Jewish people were, were mourning and weeping because of the death of all those boys in Jesus' day. Another connection. And then third, in Exodus 2, God calls his deliverer, Moses, out of Egypt, out of Pharaoh's own house. And in Matthew 2, God calls Jesus out of Egypt to be the ultimate deliverer. And Jesus came to deliver us from a far greater enemy than Egypt, far greater enemy than any earthly nation. He came to deliver you and he came to deliver me from our sin, from the tyranny of the devil, from death, from the judgment that, that we deserve. Isn't it amazing how, how God weaves all of scripture together? It's amazing when you, you see how all of it is connected. It's not, it's not 66 disconnected books. It's God all throughout Scripture telling us what he would do in order to redeem his people, what he would do, Christian, in order to redeem you. And this is a glorious truth that we see this morning. And these opening two chapters of, of Exodus are, are wonderful chapters. God, notice, God uses five different women to thwart Satan's plans and to preserve God's people. He uses the two Hebrew midwives in chapter 1. 
He uses Moses' mother and Moses' sister and Pharaoh's own daughter in chapter 2. He uses these five women, and through that, God preserves his people. God's great plan of redemption will never be stopped. God's work in your life will never be stopped. Trust him, lean upon him, trust that he is a faithful God who keeps all of his promises and that he will use even us as he used those five women, he will use us to accomplish his purposes in the lives of our children, our grandchildren, and in this world. Let's pray. If you've been blessed by this podcast and would like to support this ministry, you can find us at www.goodnewsinadarkworld.com. Thank you for listening.